Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Rolling along, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests on the Goodyear Hotline. Busy, busy, busy today and delighted you're here. I have a fascinating green list coming your way in just a few minutes. We opened the show today by talking about Jacob deGrom. And I just wanted to get one more quick thought from you on that, Hembo, before I get to what I had planned here, because it just jumped into my head. Because I think I have a bad reputation for this. I think people think that I overreact to things. No, not you. I overstate No, who's saying this? I'm a professional overreactor. Here's what I am. I'm a person who has made a living for 30 years trying to make everyone excited about things that are happening in sports. But that is my job. And it's interesting because I... I now have a son who has clearly gotten that for me. So, like, a player will come into a sport and he'll have, like, two really good years. I'm trying to think of someone like uh, Lamar Jackson. And Stevie will say to me, Dad, Hall of Fame, greatest of all time? And I'm like, Stevie, he's been the second season. So he's been listening to the show. And I can only imagine, yes, he grew up on Mike and Mike and all the rest of this nonsense that I've done. So, the question is, am I overstating it? So, I want you to say it, so I don't. Is Jacob DeGrom right now the greatest pitcher ever? Yes. There's no ever. Question, ever. There's no question about it. No pitcher in the history of baseball has done what he's doing right now. The stuff that he shows on a uh, day-in and day-out basis is remarkable. He's sitting at 100 miles per hour and commanding it like Greg Maddox. It's impossible to believe. Right now, Greeny, pitchers across baseball are batting 112. Obviously, pitchers are terrible at hitting. The league is batting 113 against Jacob deGrom. So up and down your lineup, and your team is facing J- Jacob deGrom, you might as well have nine pitchers facing him. He's that kind of good right now. That really is a great way of doing it statistically, and I cheated. I knew you were going to say that, and I wanted to make sure that you provided that statistical context. The, ana- the analytics are an important piece of this. The other piece that's important, however, is understanding it in relation to the time in which it's taking place. So mm-hmm. what you're saying is that the era in which he's doing it does not detract from what he's doing relative to the 60s or any other time we might be talking about. No, it's obviously easier to pitch now than it's been at different uh, points in baseball history because of the, the sort of run-scoring environment. But what he's doing now in relation to the league is still so extraordinary. It's still even greater than what Pedro Martinez did in, in, the, in the late 90s. It's even greater than what Bob Gibson did in the late 60s. The only knock on Jacob deGrom so far this season is that he's not gone deep into games. He's had some health issues, but his dominance is very clear. He's essentially a frontline closer pitching five, six, seven innings. Okay, good. So I wanted you to say that because I knew in this regard, I think it carries more weight if you say it, at least with me it does, than if I say it. Meanwhile, Greenies takes something else I want to say. And that is this business about us changing the shooting hand on Ben Simmons is unfathomable to me. Unfathomable. And to give credit where it's due, Jalen Rose said this the first week we launched Get Up. Hembo is nodding his head because you remember it. We launched our, our new TV show on August, excuse me, April 2nd of 2018. And that, that was right at the time when the Sixers were going into the playoffs and all this talk about, will this dynamic young pairing of, of Embiid and Simmons make a deep run? Can they win a championship? All the rest of that. And we were talking about his inability to shoot, which even then was a problem. It's gotten way, way worse. But Jalen said, I think he's shooting with the wrong hand. And I will admit there was a part of me that was like, all right, next topic. What do you mean he's shooting with the wrong hand? He's 24 years old. He was the number one pick in the draft. He's considered one of the elite players in the world. How, how impossibly could he not know which hand he should be shooting with? 
Like when a pitcher is struggling in Major League Baseball, we don't think, well, I wonder if he's really left-handed. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> Quarter, and, and so the idea that he could change that now, which people are actually seriously talking about, just strikes me as impossible. Well, what, what hand do you write with? I write with my left hand. What hand do you... What hand? I, I do athletic things with my right hand. You're, you're correct. Golf. I, I have little, a little bit of this ambidextrous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I eat with my left hand. So when I eat, my fork is in my left hand. Okay. When I write with a pen, I use the pen in my left hand. Okay. When I throw a ball, when I play tennis, when I play golf, I do those right-handed. And when you shoot, when you play basketball. When I shoot a basketball, I shoot it right-handed. Okay. And I am money, by the way. But that's a separate topic. <laughs> but the point I'm making is... Like when when Tim Tebow was coming out of college, I remember they were talking about, well, could they do something with his delivery? Could they change his delivery? And I remember Golick and I having these arguments about whether it was Urban Meyer's job to try and do that in college, you know, which is his responsibility and whatever. It doesn't matter which side of that argument we were on. The point is that we both recognize it's too late. Like you can't have a delivery and then come to the NFL. Look at Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers couldn't have learned to throw a ball differently. He just managed to throw it well enough doing that. But that's that, you couldn't change that to a more classical. You couldn't have turned Philip Rivers' delivery into Patrick Mahomes. A bad example because he has eight million different release points. Who's got the most perfect Dan Marino's delivery? That was just never going to happen. You can't change Ben Simmons into a right-handed shooter. Like you can't. He's twenty-four years old. You can't do it. So this idea that he needs to work harder in the gym, I'll buy that. I mean, he's he's if he's not taking enough shots, he's not taking enough shots. But I can't imagine that the answer to this is going to be he's using the wrong hand. That just feels impossible. But he is, and Hembo will give you credit, this was your idea. He has to be on any list of the most confounding, maddening athletes or people in sports today. Most just flat-out confounding people in sports. We decided to make it a list. The list is what determines who matters in this business. The Green List. All right, so my list, as again, as always, the Green List is voted on by me and exclusively me, the top five people in sports who I just find maddening, confounding, why it is that it doesn't click at a higher level. Here we come, the top five. Number five. Five is Rory McIlroy. I have said for quite some time, I believe Rory McIlroy is the most gifted player in the world in the post-Tiger era. Tiger Woods is the most gifted player that probably ever lived. He was better at golf than probably anyone else ever was. He didn't have the longevity of a guy like Nicholas, and as a consequence, he probably won't catch Jack in majors, and people will be hesitant to call Tiger the greatest of all time. And that's fair. But when he was at his best, I think everyone thinks he was the best. I think post that, Rory McIlroy is the best. He hasn't won a major in seven years. Seven years. Now, he won the FedEx Cup one year. He's won other very big events, including the players, which are very important to these guys. But his inability to put it together at a major since then just confounds me. Did you say 20 different players have won majors since he did? That's right, 20 different players. Yeah, so I, I find that confounding, it is, and it is my favorite sport. Once again, it is my belief that Roy McIlroy is the best player in the world. If everyone plays their absolute best, he wins. That includes Dustin, it includes DeChambeau, it includes Kepka, it includes anybody else you want. Mm. Kepka has won, won, won more majors in, in a, in a like 12-month stretch than, than McElroy. It, it, it's, those guys dominate in the majors, and for whatever reason, just has, he hasn't been able to put it together. I was sure 
He would have won a Masters by now, complete the career Grand Slam, and wind up, you know, trying to work his way towards that rarefied air, maybe approaching double digits in majors one. He hasn't won in seven years. I find that confounding. Number four. Next is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh's lack of success at Michigan stuns me. He has been enormously successful everywhere he's gone as a coach. He had great success at the University of San Diego. Went to Stanford and completely turned that program around. Went to the 49ers and took a team that hadn't won a game in a, in a century or whatever, however long they'd been bad. And he took them to the NFC Championship game three years in a row, took them to the Super Bowl, and was one questionable call away from winning the Super Bowl. Then he went to Michigan in his first year. It looked like, oh, yeah. He was a bad spot away from winning the Big Ten that year. I was positive he was about to, if not dominate the Big Ten, then certainly at least give Urban a run for his money. The fact that it's gone the way it has floors me. I'm flabbergasted, and I will, I will say, I love Jim. I've known Jim forever. Jim was the quarterback of the Bears when I covered them in the early 90s. He said, I've always liked him, and, and I root for him like crazy. Maybe that's one of the reasons this frustrates me so much. I've always rooted for Jim. And so it, I am confounded by his not having more success. Number three. Three is Carson Wentz. How does someone go from what he was to what he became like that? Like, I just don't get it. 2017, I, I think if you would ask most people who, who follow the sport, who would you start your franchise with right now? If he didn't have a, a, a torn up knee, I think he would have been the most popular answer. I remember him coming and doing Mike and Mike during that offseason at the Super Bowl. And it was like, wow, Carson Wentz has just walked in. Royalty has just walked in the door. What happened? What happened to Carson Wentz? It's confounding. I don't have an answer. That's why I find it so maddening. I'm looking at the Eagles fan here in Hembo. You don't have an answer to that question either. I don't have an answer to that question, and Philly, Philly fans essentially punted him out of town. And, Almost but, like he had the yips. But rightly so. Yeah, absolutely. You were the one who first turned me on with the mm-hmm. numbers to like, no, no, the problem here is him. The level of excuses that were being made for him because we couldn't believe what our eyes were seeing was inappropriate. You said to me, no, no, Greeny, the problem is him. <laughs> yeah. And you were right. So I'm going to pause on that thought there. Greeny with you presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. I have one and two remaining on today's green list of the most confounding people in sports. And you'll hear who they are next on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call ClickGranger.com or just stop by. Greeny, the podcast. I'm Greeny. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests appear on the Goodyear Hotline. And a reminder, there's uh, always opportunity for you to hang out with us here. We're on ESPN Radio Live, coast to coast, two hours every single day. My first choice, hang out with us there. But in the event you miss anything, there's always two places to catch up. One, we're a podcast. Each hour of the podcast is its own little nice one-hour podcast. It's called Hashtag Greeny, available anywhere you get your podcast. And then the other is ESPN+. Plus. We stream Every day live on ESPN Plus, and then it lives the entire rest of the day. So you can watch anytime you want. As we roll on here, Greeny, in the midst of a green list, which is very interesting. The list is what determines who matters in this business. The green list. The list today is my five, is chosen exclusively by me, the world's foremost authority on all matters. My five most confounding, maddening people in sports. People who I just can't understand why they have not had or do not have greater success. So if you're just tuning in, Rory McIlroy was number five, Jim Harbaugh was number four, and Carson Wentz number three. The more I think about Wentz, the less I can believe it. Like as recently as a year ago, I was thinking Carson Wentz is going to be the MVP of the league this year. Next thing I know, they couldn't give him away. Like I, 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 don't, I don't recall a player's stature falling that fast anywhere in anything so i'm confounded by it i i thought he looked so good i thought he was going to be terrific he had the moxie he had the toughness he had you know he's willing to play like a linebacker throw himself around out there got to learn not to make the hero plays those are the things you can coach out of a guy i thought he was going to be great but anyway he was number three number two number two and this was the inspiration for the list today is ben simmons because ben simmons remains a young player but 24 is not young to be changing your shooting hand. So if the conversation has turned to, and I I did a whole conversation about this before, if we're honestly having a talk about whether or not Ben Simmons needs to change the hand with which he shoots the basketball, we're in a dark place. Like that's a very bad place for an NBA all-star to be. So I don't think that he's going to get better at this. It is so in his head now. Who were the baseball players who lost the ability to throw the ball to first? Steve Sachs was one of them. I covered him. Chuck Knobloch. Chuck Knobloch lost the ability to throw the ball to first base. Like, guys just have these inexplicable, you know, in golf they call it the yips. They just get the yips, and he's just got it. He won't shoot from anywhere. I'm looking at a, at a, at a, at a tweet from Ryan Clark that we might use on TV tomorrow. At halftime of the game the other night, Ryan Clark tweeted, if I'm Ben Simmons, I'm taking five threes in the second half. I'm all by myself. They are leaving me so wide open. I have to be able to knock down two of them. He wouldn't even try. He's only made five threes in his entire NBA career. Career. He won't, he won't try. So it's, it's completely in his head now. And again, uh, you can try changing his hand if you want to. That, that strikes me as unbelievable. So he's number two. Number one. Number one is Odell Beckham Jr. Here's what I cannot get past. The Cleveland Browns last year got better, much better, and their quarterback got better, much better when he got hurt. Now, I want to make clear who I am on record as being. I'm on record as saying when Odell Beckham 
was in his maybe, I think his second season with the Giants, I said, he's the best receiver in football for sure. You can have Julio. You can have, who else would we have in that conversation now? DeAndre Hopkins. I forget who else we were talking about at the time. Now you would mention A.J. Brown. Thank you. At the time, this was a few years ago I was saying this. Oh, Antonio Brown. Yes, thank you. He, he's the guy that we were talking about then. Thank you. That was it. It was Antonio Brown, Julio, DeAndre, and Odell. And I said, I would take Odell. I thought he was that kind of magic and that kind of special. And I'm not convinced he isn't. But the fact that it has never clicked better, that it didn't click better with the Giants than it did, and that things have gone the way they've gone for him in the year and a half he's been in Cleveland is confounding to me. He has to make a team better. You can't put a great player on a team and make it worse. It doesn't make sense. I like using the stat that in their two seasons together, as you know, Baker Mayfield has thrown more interceptions than touchdown passes when targeting Odell Beckham. So is it, can it be true that, yes, he is a Hall of Fame talent, but also maybe he just doesn't work with the way that we do, we do uh, teams divide their offenses? Like, is that possible? I think it's also possible that chemistry is an interesting quality. Mm-hmm. So I've used the term chemistry many times, you know, in, 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 and it has been used in relation to me, obviously, from the old show. And here's how I would describe chemistry. If, and I'll use Baker and Odell because that's who we're talking about. If Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham, who are both very talented, are together and they have no chemistry, then they equal Baker plus Odell. If they are together and they are with chemistry, they have a great chemistry, then they equal Baker times Odell. Chemistry multiplies, and that's what we have not seen. So it is possible that the the real number one item on this list should be Baker and Odell together, that combination didn't work. But for whatever reason, it can, I've said it repeatedly, it cannot be a coincidence that starting just the numbers are, are jarring. The minute he wasn't out there anymore, Baker Mayfield became a different player. But it happened in New York, too. And, and when the Giants won, his numbers were lesser than when they didn't. So it's seven years of sample size here. That says so. So I have him number one on my list because I think he's just that good. And for whatever reason, they've never been able to put it together and make it work better than they have. This is Greeny with you here. I'll have Paul Feinbaum jump in here in a little while because of the enormous changes that are coming. And, and I just want to make note of the person that I'm working with. I'm sitting here next to Hembo. You have an issue with my lunch? Yeah. Tell everyone what you're eating for lunch today. So I asked for a recommendation. Where can I get a nice gourmet sandwich? I'm looking for a really good mm. sandwich. And you, Hembo, sent me a recommendation uh, for a place that I can get a sandwich that is nearby here, just a couple of blocks away from our studio. You know it well because you lived in this neighborhood for a long time. And so I picked out a sandwich, the vegetarian sandwich, sun-dried tomatoes, roasted peppers, artichokes, and arugula. There's no meat in the sandwich, correct? That's correct. There's, there's What part of sun-dried tomatoes, roasted peppers, artichokes, and arugula did you struggle with? Because you said it was a sandwich and not a salad. It's not a salad. It is on bread. It is a sandwich. And what's the point? Probably have a nice seasoning on it. What's the point of eating it with, inside of bread rather than just eat a salad? Because if you're going for this healthy kick here, eat a salad, get a little piece of bread on the side... I don't understand what the point is of eating it like that. Because I'm excited to try it and see how they do it and see if I like it. A vegetarian sandwich is a delight. A vegetarian sandwich is 
is the worst item that you could possibly get for lunch because it serves no purpose. If you're doing this healthy thing, just eat a salad. Like I know you like eating salads. I've had salads with you before. They'll give you a little piece of bread. You're defeating the purpose here. Not to mention, the sandwich was never even intended for vegetables to begin with. No, I understand that. We've gone through the Earl of Sandwich and how he didn't like getting his, the grease from his hands on his playing cards when he was playing cards. So you're not respecting the origin of the sandwich. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disregarding the origin of the sandwich just as I disregard the origin of a lot of things things this is 2021 there hasn't been an earl well there may actually be an earl of sandwich i, I don't know that he was the fourth in, in, in the 1760s so they could still be hanging around they could be like on the 70th or 80th earl of sandwich at this point and none of them eat vegetarian sandwiches i bet you over the course of time that an earl of sandwich has eaten a sandwich with no meat in it no that's called a salad no it's not it's it's if you put it between two pieces of bread it's called a sandwich <laughs> coming up next we will explain why one very prominent sports executive needs to listen to a very famous song by the band R.E.M. That's next on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. This is Greeny coming to you as always live from above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17 during this incredibly busy time in the world of sports. One of the huge stories, and it, it came across as we were on the air yesterday, and we talked about it a good deal. I, I was, it was fascinating to follow um, the Supreme Court decision yesterday that unanimously affirmed a ruling that provides for an incremental increase in how college athletes can be compensated, but maybe more importantly, opens the door for future legal challenges that could deal a much more significant blow to the NCAA's current business model. The opinion was written by Justice Gorsuch. Justice Kavanaugh published a concurring opinion in which he wrote what I think will now be considered the legendary phrase, the NCAA is not above the law. So as we talked about this on Get Up this morning, I wanted the perspective of Paul Feinbaum. And so I brought him on live and he said, there's one song Mark Emmert needs to listen to. Bubba, hit it. And so there you go. I'm not sure if Mark Emmert feels fine or not, Paul, but there's your song that you think he needs to listen to. Tell everybody why. Yeah, and the last uh, word of that said it all, Green. I feel fine. And, and there are a lot of people around the, the college football, the college football, basketball, and sports world who feel great about this because the NCAA for so long has been so arrogant. They've been hanging their hat 
on some language in a in a Supreme Court ruling from the mid 80s that involved television. Uh, and they, they've been you know, poppycocking and peacocking the the sanctity of amateurism. And they got shattered yesterday. And I won't go through the ruling because it was really a very narrow case. It wasn't about it wasn't about the normal things that we talk about. But Mark Emmert and his people in, in Indianapolis said, you know what, we're going to push this up the mountain. And they walked into a bar and, and Conor McGregor just threw them right out. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, the, the, the Supreme Court and, and Greeny, you know how politicized that, that is. The fact that, you know, all of those justices you know, were unanimous. And, and Kavanaugh's, uh, the, Kavanaugh's uh, secondary opinion of, of, of Gorsuch is going to live in infamy because the, 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 the NCAA has always acted like it was supercilious, that it was above everything. And now they're not. And the key here is that he, uh, in, in both Gorsuch and especially in Kavanaugh, they basically invited people to challenge the NCAA. When they do that, they'll be waiting and saying, OK, we'll, we'll hear this case. And, and that, that's the next case, Greeny, is, is when the NCAA is brought to its knees. So Paul Feinbaum is here. And again, for those who don't know Paul across the country, P- Paul has hosted one of the most popular radio shows in America for a long time, a sports talk show in the southeast in which you speak to a, a wide array and variety of sports fans, primarily SEC fans, who are I, I have certainly come to know among the most passionate people in America when it comes to sports or anything for that matter. And so I would ask you that while I'm in favor of this, and I know a lot of other former players and others are in favor of it, the people you're hearing from, the idea that this opens the door to a complete change in amateurism, that it it opens the door ultimately probably to collegiate athletes getting paid. Do the people that you're hearing from like that? No, they don't. (laughs) And Greeny, it depends on the age. But uh, I would say 50 and above, which obviously includes a lot of people who listen to radio, uh, they are very much against this. And I, I think that's a secondary part of this conversation, not only involving what happened yesterday in Austin, but with the name, image, and likeness, which is happening as we speak and will continue to be happening uh, two weeks from now. There are a lot of tra- – I don't think there's any sport that has more traditional traditionalists in its fan base than college football. They really liked the way it was when they went to college because, yeah, Greeny, you understand this going to Northwestern. There, there's an affinity. There's a love. There's a loyalty toward the school. And, and part of that was, was playing for your school. It didn't matter whether you were 0-12 or 12-0. And a lot of older fans just don't like young athletes saying, you know what, it's, it's not the, it's not the uh, college football playoff. I'm not playing in the, in the Cotton Bowl like a lot of Florida players did last year. I'm not playing in, in the, uh, the Booter Scooter Bowl because you know, my team you know, had a 6-6 six and six record. And the idea that they're going to be making, making money makes it even more complex. And, you know, that's one issue. Uh, the secondary issue is, is this really going to be equitable? It's, it's great. Uh, you and I are both in favor of, of young players making money, men or women. It doesn't matter what the sport. But, uh, you know, a lot of schools will, will have an advantage because of where they are located and the, and, and, and the hardcore fan base that they, that they employ. So I agree. And, and so I, here's the question I wanted to ask you. I, I feel like you'll have a better – I'm just sort of asking you to look into a crystal ball here. At some point, if Pandora's box really does become completely open, if, as Heather and you were both projecting this morning on Get Up, um, the next lawsuit that gets to the Supreme Court breaks this wide open and suddenly there is pay-for-play in collegiate sports, what would then happen? What what would it look like as best you can guess? Let's stick with football, which is the sport that you deal in the most. Um, and is the biggest of these sports by far. What do you think college football would look like? 
Well, I, I think there would be some unionization, which was tried a couple of years ago, as you know, at Northwestern. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how that model would, would work, but I think players would get something. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't know how much. But, you know, it, it's almost like we were 50 years ago with the Olympics, Greeny. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we would hear the, the head of the IOC come on and whatever uh, accent that he spoke in, you know, talk about the amateurism. And we laughed. Uh, and eventually that we didn't laugh any longer because the players were uh, the athletes were getting millions of dollars. And I think we'll just come to accept it. And, and at least we'll quit pretending. Now, I don't know what all these administrators are going to do, the college presidents with the bow ties, uh, because, you know, they love to stand up there, you know, wipe the dandruff off their lapel and talk about the sanctity uh, of, of college athletics and the purity of it. But, but uh, right now, even, even as we speak in 2021, the Ivy League is pretty much the only place you can find that. Paul Feinbaum is with me here again, the host of the Paul Feinbaum show and, and, and the radio and on television and on SEC Network and everything else here. But in the end, just to make it just to go back to it, because I don't have any issue with people saying that this will determine. Do you believe it will have a deleterious effect? The concern, I think, well, one of the concerns, one of the concerns that the administrators, the executives of this would have would be that it would have a deleterious effect on people's interest, that that all the tradition you just brought up, and Kavanaugh actually wrote about it yesterday, is the primary driver of people's interest in this. And if it does become just a different version of professional football, that it would, in the big picture, diminish people's interest in the sport. Do you think that's a real possibility? I don't. Greeny, I'll never forget, uh, it was August 16th, 19, uh, what was it, 1994, when baseball went on strike. Yeah. You know what everybody said the next day? I'm never watching it again. Right. Now, a lot of people were at baseball games last night, and they'll be at baseball games today. And, and, and the ratings may not be what they were, but they're still pretty good. I, I heard that last night on our show. Uh, it's the ruination of sports. It's not going to be. College football is still a great spectacle, whether uh, the players are, are making money, whether they're profiting, whether there's four teams in the college football playoff or 12 teams. Uh, there's also another driving force, and I know that the college administrators really don't want to hear this. There's betting on college football, Greedy. I know, I know that comes as a shock to you, <laughs> but it does happen, and it happens particularly in the South where, where college football is, the, is, is so large. And as long as there's a betting line, there's going to be interest in college football. That's fair. It's really well done. Paul, I knew you were exactly the right person to catch up with on this. Thank you, as always, my friend, and I'll see you soon. Can't wait. Thanks, Greeny. That's the great Paul Feinbaum who – is just a fascinating person, and his insight into this is fascinating. Let me very quickly go around the horn to my crew here. Hembo, I'm, I'm starting with you. If they started paying college athletes, would it have any – let's just use football as an example. That's the biggest sport. The NCAA tournament, the men's tournament, also generates, I think, billions of dollars. But let's use college football because that's the biggest sport. If they start paying the players, if you actually are reading in the paper or in, in the Internet, the salary of the quarterback of Alabama – would it impact your enjoyment of the sport? It would not impact my enjoyment of the sport, no. But I am, in, I am in favor of name, image, and likeness. I am not in favor of paying salaries. Fair. But it would not impact your interest in it or your desire to watch it. It would not. Uh, Bubba, you are next. And many may not know this, but Bubba, in his career before he began this very successful run in radio production, Bubba was actually an economist of great note. Uh, he predicted the collapse of multiple economies, uh, primarily, um, you know, through Eastern Europe. And, and so your understanding of these matters, I think, is really on a next level for most of us. So do you, do you, Bubba, let's start with your own personal feeling. Would you 
Would your interest in college football be impacted if you knew how much money the quarterback of one of these teams was getting paid? It would not. It would not at all. It, would, it wouldn't have any impact on you. Nope. I would still watch the same amount. Now, the way you're saying that suggests to me that maybe what you're leading to here is that you don't watch much anyway. Is that no, correct? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it would not change at all. I, Got it. I, I watch a decent amount, yeah. Okay, fair enough. I thought you were sneaking one in on me nope, there because no you're sneak. also very sneaky. This time, no sneak. No, no. Just coming from your long um, and very successful run before you were an economist as a spy. You right. were a spy there for a while. Sure. And I know that was very successful for you, and so your sneakiness is a big factor. Nuno, yay or nay? Would, would it... If if uh, you read the quarterback of Oklahoma's got a salary of $120,000 a year, would it change anything? Nope. Actually, it would make it even slightly more interesting for me because other schools might be able to – they will be able to start paying someone who might go to Alabama as a backup to come to them to be a starter. And I think that's going to be good for the sport. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting way. It is the full-fledged Devin Super Quick. You, which way? Not one iota. Not one iota. So, so it, it, that would be the full-on professionalization of collegiate sports. I will say this. I'm in favor of it, first and foremost. I'm in favor. I, I, I said it yesterday to you, and I've been saying it for 30 years. It is completely un-American for someone to offer someone else money and for another body of people to say, no, you can't be allowed to take that money. When anyone else can, anyone else can. There are people playing professional tennis at the age of 14. Jennifer Capriati was playing professional tennis when she was 13 years old. The idea that you're going to deprive a 20-year-old of of taking money that someone is willing to offer him or her is just un-American to me. But I do think it's different, and I'll give you an example of why. When My two favorite football teams are the New York Jets and the Northwestern University Wildcats. The New York Jets, when they do things that – when they lose – When they make what I consider to be mistakes, when players make mistakes, I get furious. I get angry. Anyone who's listened to me on the radio knows that. I go into one of my legendary rants. That's how most of the fans I know are, certainly the fans I was raised around feel. And that's my inclination. That's my reaction when the Jets, their coach, their players, whoever, do something that I think is bad and it costs them a game. When Northwestern, when a Northwestern player, and I'm only using them as an example because that's my alma mater, when a Northwestern player makes a big mistake, a a critical turnover, um, you know, misses an assignment, whatever it might be, a kicker misses a kick, whatever it is, I don't get mad at them. I feel sad for them. It hurts me. I feel their pain with them. And I think a big part of that reason for that is that I do view them as kids, now, I know that it is, it's not necessarily right to call an 18, 19, 20-year-old person a kid. But I feel comfortable saying that. I don't mean any negative connotation to that whatsoever. My daughter is a college student. She's 20 years old. To me, she's a kid. She'll always be a kid. So to me, I view them as kids. These are college kids. Tomorrow, they're going to be walking around that campus, eating in the same dining hall that everybody else is and doing all this other stuff. My reaction to them is not the same. And I do believe... That if all of a sudden they start getting paid a lot of money, that would change. And I don't think just for me, but I think for a lot of people. I think your perspective on what you expect from these people does change with the money. I don't know if that's right, wrong, or indifferent, but I'm pretty confident in saying that I wouldn't be the only one 
who would be impacted that way. So that, that is something to consider. And people's passion for their teams, you know, again, Northwestern University, I didn't go there to play football. I love it. I love the school as much as I love anything. And my passion for the school goes way beyond the athletics programs. My biggest connection to it is to the journalism school. Um, I know that there are hardcore fans of all these other college teams that, that their connection to it is not that different than mine would be to a pro team. So maybe you already feel that way. Maybe when the quarterback makes a big boneheaded mistake, you feel angry at him the same way I feel angry at, at a pro quarterback. But I think there'd be a lot of people who would be in my camp on this. All right, greeting with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance and, um, and our guests on the Goodyear Hotline. I want to take just the final few moments to say a few words about a very big story from yesterday, and that is Carl Nassib, um, the Las Vegas Raiders defensive uh, lineman who came out as gay yesterday and became the first active NFL player to come out as gay. I don't know exactly what to say about it. Of course, I applaud him for doing so, and I certainly support him, not that my support matters, but maybe it does. But I'll say two quick things about it. One of them is that in my childhood, I grew up in Greenwich Village, New York, just so you know where my perspective on this comes from. I grew up in Greenwich Village, New York, which in the 70s when I was growing up there was probably the most heavily gay neighborhood in the United States. And so from a very young age, walking down Bleecker Street where I grew up with my mom or my dad, I would very frequently see men holding hands or women holding hands. And this was explained to me then as, well, Michael, I'm, I don't know, six years old, seven years old. Some men like to be with men instead of women. Some women like to be with women instead of men. And no further explanation was necessary. I've never felt any further was necessary. I didn't explain it any more than that to my kids. And I don't think any further explanation than that is necessary. There is one thing that rubbed me the wrong way that I saw yesterday, because people who tried to justify their own prejudice toward this, when I saw some of the social media coverage of it, I saw some people taking the following line. You could do whatever you want, but keep your private life private. That's private. Is it? Is Tom Brady's relationship with Giselle Bündchen private? Are you telling Tom Brady when he's running on the field and, and, and kissing his wife after they win the Super Bowl, that he should keep his private life private? So Carl Nassib shouldn't be allowed to do the same thing? If Carl Nassib is ever lucky enough to be on a team that wins a Super Bowl, and the person who means the most to him in this world, whoever that is, wants to run over and give him a kiss on the field, should he have to keep that private when no one else does? Come on, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous and it's an excuse for something that is inexcusable. Carl Nassib has the right to do all the same things that every other NFL player and every other person has the right to do. So I'm happy for him. I share his belief that we will be in a better place as a society when this isn't news. I actually think we are already in a better place because I think it is far less significant news than it would have been 20 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe five years ago. I don't know. But one way or another, that was the one thing that I saw yesterday that really did rub me the wrong way. Don't tell a person to keep his private life private just because you think you don't like it. He has every right to have the same public life in his private life that everybody else does. Beyond that, I wish him and his team luck. (laughs) And I don't know that anything further than that for me needs to be said. All right. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I will uh, go have my vegetarian sandwich for lunch, Mm. which I will enjoy greatly. I'm going to eat it in front of Hembo. 
and I'm going to make sure he knows just how good it is. And we'll see you back in Better Than Ever tomorrow. Same time, same place. I'm Greeny, and this is ESPN Radio.